Welcome to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Your host is Rochelle McLaughlin. It's time to experience radical well-being. Learn to nourish your heart, body, and mind. Manifest your power in the present. And learn to live your life's infinite potential. Now, here's your host, Rochelle McLaughlin. Welcome, everyone. Annie Levin, the producer of Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Precipice Series, is speaking today with Andrew Gerber, founder of the American Death Party, a project that encourages conversations about how things end so that endings may feed the larger life of our communities, nation, and world. But before I hand the show over to Annie Levin, I would like to share a bit about a beginning that is the premier issue of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine, that is being launched today. Revolutionary Wellness Magazine is a free and primarily online publication devoted to amplifying the voices of inspiring visionaries of our time that are sharing their passions with the world. It's a publication seeking to trouble us with some of the challenges we face in these times, seeking to explore new insights, open up new places of power, new ways of seeing, and becoming curious about a variety of paths we might take towards personal, communal, and global health and wellness. And if you've had the chance to listen to past Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio episodes, you would know that it wasn't until I started troubling myself with what I was not aware of, of what I might not have known, uh, or even of what I was afraid of, that I began my own personal healing journey. And I was able to begin to embody my own authentic power and to step onto a path of healing for myself. And this is when my whole life changed and it's still being transformed by this journey. And producing and now co-producing this talk radio show and magazine is certainly breathing greater depth and fire into this journey. And I'm thrilled to be here with you all. So this first issue features a few of the amazing people that I've had the great honor of interviewing these past few months, such as Dr. Christine Page, author of The Healing Power of the Sacred Woman, Dr. Natasha Campbell McBride of The Gut and Psychology Syndrome, and an amazing local rancher, Donaga Markagard, who has gifted profound healing to me, my family, and my community on many levels through her passionate life and work. So definitely partake in this publication that you can access at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com. And just as a sneak peek, preview for you that sacred activist Dr. Bio Okomolafe will be our front page featured contributor for our spring issue, as well as we will have articles by the Emergence Network's Precipice series producer Annie Levin and other extraordinary people doing incredible work in the world. So stay tuned for that. And without further ado, allow me to hand the show over to Annie Levin. Thank you all so much for listening. Thanks so much, Rochelle. Welcome everyone, I'm Annie Levin and this is Precipice. These days find us standing at the edge of a cliff, ecologically, socially, economically, and existentially. It is a precarious place to be. The risk of falling is real. But perhaps standing at the edge might also call forth something new. How clear must our seeing be and how precise our attention when standing on such ground? How do we carry ourselves? How do we move? And how do we speak? These times ask such questions of us. Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio's Precipice series aspires to stand at that edge, the edge of what we know, the edge of what we understand, 
the edge of what's familiar or comfortable to see what conversations emerge from there. Here on Precipice, we invite guests willing to explore that terrain with us. They may be expert in certain things, but none of us are expert in navigating this time. So we will be wondering out loud together. Last month, we had our launch episode in which producer Rochelle McLaughlin and I discussed the origins of Precipice and where we hope to take the series. And I'm thrilled to kick things off today with our very first guest, Andrew Gerber. Andrew has worked as a hospice nurse, guitar builder, carpenter, member of a rock band, poet, and teacher. He has degrees in religion and nursing. Andrew, his partner, and their co-conspirators live in southern Indiana, where they are cultivating a space for grieving and the arts. They plan on feeding people well on many levels and welcoming some heartbreaking beauty into their community. Andrew is who he is because of the gifts he has received from his friends and family, the people of East Africa, and the many people in Chicago who shared a part of their dying with him. He is the founder of the American Death Party, a project encouraging conversations about how things end so that endings may feed the larger life of our communities, nation, and world. On the American Death Party website, Andrew writes, the American Death Party is a political party that is not seeking your vote in the modern sense. We are seeking your vote in a much older sense. The word vote is from the same roots as the word vow. It also conveys a promise to God, solemn pledge, dedication, That which is promised, a wish, desire, longing, prayer. We are seeking a solemn pledge to hold space for dying well. Our promise to you is that we will not elect a hero or leader to save you or the empire. Andrew, it's my great pleasure to welcome you to Precipice. Thank you, Annie. My pleasure to be here. So to get us started, I'm wondering if you can share a bit about the journey and process that led you to your current work in Southern Indiana and to the launch of the American Death Party. Yeah, I uh, I think it was about five years ago, I moved to Chicago following a gut instinct that uh, my wife and I had and moved up there and was in proximity to my family and my brother and my parents and um, got to spend the last six months of my father's life uh, with him. So that was a real blessing in a lot of ways. And then living in Chicago uh, became increasingly less healthy for us. Um, but the stubbornness of, of trying to just keep, keep on was uh, <laughs> we were trying to make that happen until Kara, in her wisdom, uh, said, I'm out, can't do this. And uh, I was uh, working at Rush at the, the big hospital in, in, um, in downtown Chicago, doing signing people up for hospice, and was on the 14th floor of, of the building looking out over this amazing city of Chicago and uh, helping a, a woman sign her, her friend up for hospice. And my phone started ringing and ringing and ringing. And this woman looked at me and she said, you have to answer your phone. And I said, well, when it rings that much, that's not good news. And she said, uh, 
She said, that, but you have to answer it. So I answered my phone and found out that my um, sister, who was 37, had just died of a brain aneurysm and sat there and was held by this woman I had known for 20 minutes uh, and just wept and wept and wept in the arms of this complete stranger. And I think that was a piece that kind of broke open um, broke open uh, the, the doorway to, to uh, not have to keep trying to do uh, what, what didn't feel like it was working. <laughs> and so from there, you found yourself in southern Indiana? Yeah, my, my wife's father was also dying. And, uh, and, and so it was, it was the, the, the juxtaposition of my sister dying in a way that I wasn't able to help her die well. And, and my father-in-law dying in a way supported by community, um, within his own home, uh, and just, and just a, a lot of beauty surrounding how that happened the juxtaposition of those two just uh, made pretty clear to me that uh, I wanted to afford uh, other people and and um, ways of being in the world the opportunity to end well uh, and and so the the requirement for that really felt like uh, a fierce holding of space, which I wasn't sure how to do in Chicago. And um, so we ended up moving to Paoli and finding this abandoned uh, tomato factory building, 12,000 square foot abandoned factory on 17 wooded acres. And my wife described it to me on the phone. I was actually in Chicago and I said, that, that sounds like, like the right thing to do. And so um, bought it without ever having seen it with my eyes. Uh, I saw it in other ways. But um, came down here and the first time I saw it, I walked down to the abandoned quarry and the vultures. We have a, a huge community of black vultures. The vultures are flying up over this quarry that's probably uh, 200 yards long and uh, maybe maybe 80 yards wide and about a 75-foot uh, precipice there on the one side that you can go look over. <laughs> and uh, for the first time in my life, I felt uh, not I can live here, but I'm willing to die here, uh, willing to, uh, to beat my bones for this place and surrender them to this place and that is a new feeling for me and a beautiful feeling. So really glad to be here and be a part of this community. On your website, on the American Death Party website, you have a, a manifesto for things ending well that has 10 theses. And you just mentioned number eight, which is belong to a place. Mm. And I'm wondering if you can speak to that a bit, to what what struck you as important about that, and 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 what 
what are you coming to understand that to mean? Yeah, it's it's uh, a comedy of sorts. Uh, this is not the place I thought I would belong to or feel claimed by, uh, and I, and and so it's uh, kind of a confusing joy to be claimed by a place that you never thought you would live. Uh, I really enjoyed in Chicago the feeling of living in a city of immigrants, of people from all over the world, um, having lived in other parts of the world, uh, in East Africa. Uh, just being surrounded by people from everywhere comforted me in, in a real way, and yet I felt really incredibly lonely in Chicago in a way that I'd never felt so lonely in my life. And and then moved to this tiny town and just felt that people came out of the woods and welcomed me and and um, was able to to uh, work in the in, in the land and 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 uh, engage the place on on a, on a level of sweat and uh, and um, frustration and struggle that that uh, was was withheld from me in Chicago and, and, and felt like I wasn't able to engage the community people that was there but but I didn't have access to them in some way so I don't I don't know I mean the the, the mystery of it is <laughs> uh, it, it's hard to explain it it it's it's just a feeling that uh, of being in this place and 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 just feeling um, well. Here's here's an example. I've been collecting soil samples from all the farms my ancestors uh, had uh, farmed. So I have soil samples from Nebraska and Iowa and Ohio and. I've got all these jars, quart jars filled with all this soil. And I always thought, oh, I'll make an art project out of this. But I now live in a place where I don't need to make an art project out of it. I can go empty these containers of soil in this place because I'm committed to letting this be uh, the place I take care of. Does that make any sense? <laughs> yeah. Did... To what extent does this feel to you like a decision on your part? And to what extent, what extent are you claiming the place and to what extent is the place claiming you? Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, um, I think uh, for me, the community of people that have been here uh, for years and years, I, I want I want to honor all those people that have that have been taking care of this place before me, and so uh, there's a certain weariness about uh, trepidation about coming in and saying this is mine. Uh, we had a work day here. We have some community work days at our property, and we had a work day uh, last year 
and a couple dozen people came and helped just clear down thicket and, and, and down some trees. And, and we just had a communal meal and, a, and we worked together all day. And at the end of the day, I just started crying because I realized that the place that I fought belonged to me somehow just by, by way of signing my name on a paper or, or transference of funds really didn't belong to me at all. And, and that it was just me signing up to take care of it for the community, regardless of whose name was on the deed. And so, um, claim, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to answer it. Yeah. Well, I, I asked this question as someone who lives in a city and who has a a longing to be claimed by a place. My life has been relatively itinerant, as is true for a lot of people in our culture at this time. And to imagine the possibility of it, it it's almost hard to imagine, but... It, and and it's hard to know how much would I show up at the edge of a quarry and suddenly think, oh, I could die here. Or is it more making a decision and then the claiming happens in the living? I don't know. It feels like uh, 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 part of what the fertile ground of of what this place grew out of was was just an utter desperation of not knowing how to belong in a city. And so, you know, I, I'm not trying to make being in a city wrong. I totally honor being in the city because it was that experience that showed me um, how that didn't work for me. And and, and kind of that desperation and feeling like I'm going to kill myself. Literally, I will, I mean, not, not inflict violence upon myself. Well, meet it out over years or, you know, at just not be able to take care of myself in a place like that. And so from that desperation and that plea, I feel like that's where this came from is, is just the desperation of, of not not belonging. Mm. Well, it's time to take a short break before we continue this rich conversation. Before we go, I'd like to share an excerpt from the American Death Party's Manifesto for Things Ending Well. Thesis two, start projects that you will not finish in your lifetime and enroll others in joining you. I remember looking at a stone stairway in Copan, Honduras. The Mayans had built it over generations. So what if you only carve one stone stair tread in your life? Give up the idea that the big work of caring for life ends with your death. Dream up and begin wild projects that your ancestors and community will be honored to carry. Envision how your death will feed those projects. Let being carried by your village be your bucket list. These words are from my guest today and creator of the American Death Party, Andrew Gerber. You can find out more about the American Death Party at www.americandeathparty.com and follow Andrew and the American Death Party on Facebook. And we will be right back after these messages. 
Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind body medicine, lifestyle change, and self healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Welcome back to Precipice, hosted here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I'm Annie Levin, and my guest today is Andrew Gerber, hospice nurse, carpenter, artist, and creator of the American Death Party. You can find out more about the American Death Party at www.americandeathparty.com and follow Andrew and the American Death Party on Facebook. So before the break, I was reading one of the theses from the the manifesto for things ending well. And the one that I shared was start projects that you will not finish in your lifetime. And I'm wondering if you can talk about the, the big wild project that you are working on in, in, at your, in your home in Southern Indiana and, and how it is connected to the American death party work and the, the 10 the 10 theses that you outline there. Yeah. We have 17 acres and a 12,000 square foot brick factory building that uh, had no structure within it, really, no, no subdivisions. And the property was largely overgrown or... Um, or uh, in the protective state, which is poison ivy and uh, um, the thorny roses trying to protect the, the space as it recovers from uh, industrial scarring. And so a lot of what we've been doing last year is trying to clear space, which is um, somewhat of an amazing activity because 
it's uh, it's uh, almost impossible to do that solely on a physical level without looking at other parts of of um, of the uh, overgrownness <laughs> of, of your life. So uh, our vision here is that we have a artist residency. Um, and a, a space that can host community events and a space that feeds people in many ways. Two of the schools that I've studied at, both uh, Earth Song Sound Mystery School in southern Michigan and Orphan Wisdom uh, in Ontario on the Bonchere, both schools uh, are very committed to people being fed from the place and the land being uh, an element of, of teaching and feeding of, of the guests. And so we're, we take that really seriously and have, um, we have a young man uh, that, that lives with us now that's a permaculture education uh, teacher who is helping us you know, figure out how to set up uh, a relationship with this place so that we can feed those that come here. And, and how, how that relates to, to, to things ending well is that, you know, um, it, it, it is the, it is the, the ending of things that, that gives birth to, to the ability to feed those that come here. And, and so having an honest relationship about, um, that, that rhythm and that, and that, uh, that your food is coming from somewhere, uh, and, and to be able to look at that, I think really provides, um, being fed on a way that, that those that come here and artists that come here, uh, will be able to utilize in, 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 uh, and uh, creating uh, new ways of being. You've mentioned feeding people well and and death feeding life. And I'm wondering what you saw in your time working in hospice care that that troubled you and and led you to seek something different yeah uh working in working in hospice seems to become less and less it seemed it was seeming to become less and less to me about helping people die well and actually the hospice i was working for was regrouping uh the last hospice i worked for was regrouping and i went to one of the the meetings to discuss how to regroup and the PR of that. And, and um, we were going around the circle and saying what we're committed to. And I said, I'm committed to people dying well. And the, the woman next to me turned and looked at me and she said, you mean you're committed to people living well? Mm-hmm. And then the PR specialist across the table looked at her and said, oh, I really liked how you said that. And so, you know, increasingly being in a, in a space where the D and the H word, you know, death and hospice, is not even uh, invited. Um, 
And if you notice, a lot of uh, the new organizations won't put the word hospice in uh, the title at all. It won't be hospice. It'll be such and such uh, going from point A to point B care. You know, and don't mention what point B is. So um, doing that type of work, if you're committed to, to, uh, to things ending well, and, and to things not ending violently, then, then the honest conversations uh, about the hard work of dying uh, need, to, need to be, you know, uh, however uncomfortable they are, they need to be to take place. And, and, and you have to be a fierce holder of space for those conversations. And and when it when it's just not happening and you're being, um, uh, you know, you're you're the the bad person for for even mentioning such things, it it just becomes really really difficult. Um, I worked with a, a a homeless man in uh, in the west side of Chicago, and and went and uh, talked to. He was living with his sister then. Uh, as he was dying and I went into the room with him and he said no one is, is willing to talk to me about the fact that my ancestors are all calling out to me and uh, so I went out and talked to his family and said uh, you know this this man's stuck in his own nightmare because you, you're unwilling to discuss what's going on for him I said, you don't have to agree or believe or anything. Just are you, are, can you be willing to just listen to him? And they were willing to consider that. But those conversations are rare uh, in my experience now. And, and so it's increasingly difficult for people that, um, that want to do that type of work to fit into the, the kind of new corporate structure. You said something about, you said if, if we don't want things to end violently, then we need to be able to face death or make a, a place for death. When you say violently, what do you mean? Well, I mean, in, in the specific intensive care unit environment, that means um, essentially having your ribs broken and neurological damage done. It, it's... If, if you're, if you if you do nothing, that's the route that that your death will take, or, um, you know, you're speaking to CPR and the other sort of heroic measures that are taken right. to keep people alive. Yeah, mm-hmm. and if you've ever participated in those measures, I mean, the 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 feeling of pressing down on someone's chest and feeling ribs snap, and and knowing that that might not be what they want, but no one was willing to actually have a conversation about what, what, what those, those uh, signing or not signing or, or choosing or not choosing what those things actually mean. It's just really, um, and that's the environment of, of not addressing things and, and not, not speaking to, to those to those issues so and, and and it is violent it's uh you know the, and that's the 
that's just if, if no one's willing to, to stand up and say, what do you really want? But, but even more than that, people don't know what they want. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's hard work. It's really hard work. This all makes me think a lot, too, about, about language. Because mm. you were talking about sitting in a room and saying, I want to help people die well, and it being reframed as, you mean you want them to live well. And, and language is clearly so important to you. Reading your website and looking at the 10 theses and looking at your description of the American Death Party, you spend a lot of time choosing words in a very particular way. Um, and and looking at them not just in their modern meanings, but in their deeper, older etymological meanings. And I'm wondering, what's the importance of language right now to you? Um, the way something, like in the specific example of someone being in the ICU, things are presented as a zero-sum game. So death is the opposite of life. Uh, if you're not choosing life, you're choosing death. There, there is, um, there's no way to, uh, there's no way to reframe the story so that People can think about how they will be carried. Um, I was teaching. I sometimes I go up to my alma mater and and, and do a, a workshop or a, a one class with the uh, with the ethics class up there on death and dying. And I was I was teaching up there, and I I was trying to help people understand that that how they speak of they're dead and how they how they use language is part of how they carry and and so I was asking them I said uh, how do you uh, how do you remember or talk about your your dead on a daily basis and they got the you know the room full of blank stares initially and then one woman she finally timidly raised her hand and she said well she said we have something my grandpa carved and we keep it on the shelf and sometimes you take it down and dust it I was like oh that's great. No, good. And there was these two young Asian women sitting in the front row. And one of them finally raised her hand. She'd been staring at me the whole time. She raised her hand and she said, this is why my mom doesn't want to die here. Mm. And she, she was from the Philippines. And I said, can you tell us a little more about that? She said, in the Philippines, you know, we have a picture of our dead in our house. When we eat, we talk about them. On certain holidays, we go down and, and um, they have a very um, um, established way of carrying their dead. And part of that is language. Uh, and, and so I've, I've seen... I've seen the power of language shift people's uh, willingness to trust that they'll be carried. Like I've, I've, I've seen it many times down to the specific instance of like one time I was working with a man who had um, 
off the street, you know, chronic drug abuse. The world had not handed him anything easy. And he was, he was emaciated and, and, and dying, but, but, but not able to let go. And I said to him, I said, you know, I have no idea of how difficult your life has been. I can't even imagine that. But I said, I, I'm willing to carry your story for you. Um, and he then proceeded to let out a last breath and, be, and, and, and let go. So it's not that I hypothetically think that, that uh, how we speak uh, uh, has the ability to carry those people. I've witnessed uh, people trusting that use of language in a certain way will carry. Mm. And, and, and I've, seen, I've seen so many beautiful examples of that that um, if, if I can be a little more diligent about um, how I use language uh, in order that I can, you know, respect those that came before and 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 hold space for for things. I'm gonna I'm gonna do my best to to uh, to do that. That's beautiful. Thank you, Andrew. Mm-hmm. It's time to take another short break, and before we go, I'd like to share another excerpt from the American Death Party's Manifesto for Things Ending Well, 10 Theses. Thesis 5. Extend your attention span. Watch some ants. Watch some stones. Look far forward into the trail your ancestors have taken. Look far back into the eyes of those who follow in this caravan. Make time more spacious and less factory bell and punch clock. Be the change you wish your ancestors to see in 10,000 years. These words are from my guest today and creator of the American Death Party, Andrew Gerber. You can find out more about the American Death Party at www.americandeathparty.com and follow Andrew and the American Death Party on Facebook. And we'll be right back with Andrew Gerber on Precipice. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Do you know that you were born to experience revolutionary wellness? Have you wondered why extraordinary physical, mental, and emotional health has eluded you? Do you know that your infinite personal power resides right here in the present moment? People all over the world are awakening to their birthright. Revolutionary Wellness. Subscribe today at revolutionarywellnessmagazine.com and begin your journey into the mystery. Engage with experts in topics of nourishment, wisdom, and empowerment. Develop mental clarity. Live wholeheartedly and be empowered to live an authentic life of passion and purpose. The world, now more than ever, needs you to feel revolutionarily well. Explore and integrate new ways of being. Learn to access your own unique treasure, the wisdom that is right there inside you, waiting to be revealed. 
Experience a renewed, vivid, and nourishing relationship with yourself and the world around you. Log on and subscribe to Revolutionary Wellness Magazine today and experience the publication devoted to your journey toward extraordinary health and well-being. RevolutionaryWellnessMagazine.com Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Listening to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Rochelle is a clinician of mind body medicine, lifestyle change, and self healing. She is a life mentor, author, and publisher of Revolutionary Wellness Magazine. You can reach Rochelle at experiencerevolutionarywellness.com. Now back to Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Welcome back to Precipice, hosted here on Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. I'm Annie Levin, and my guest today is Andrew Gerber, hospice nurse, carpenter, artist, and creator of the American Death Party. You can find out more about the American Death Party at www.americandeathparty.com and follow Andrew and the American Death Party on Facebook. So just before the break, Andrew, you were telling a story about someone who died and you said to him just before he died, I'll carry your story. And you've also written some about what it means to carry. And, and I believe that you wrote about what it means to carry in, in contrast to what it is to consume. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering if you might speak a little bit more to what you mean when you speak of carrying, because I think you maybe mean something that 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 word doesn't carry <laughs> in our culture at this time. And I'm wondering if you can speak to when you say that word, what you mean. Yeah, that's a, <laughs> I could talk a long time about that. It's my favorite thing to talk about, really. Um, the, that we're able to to hold space with words, uh, with art, with um, <clears throat> how we engage what I call the imaginal realm, that there's, that there's a, a way of, of holding space and clearing space. And I'd say in my experience, the clearing of space in my most, uh, I guess how I define things now would be Grief serves the purpose of clearing, clearing space, and then, then we have the ability to carry, and and that's a that's a compassionate act. I mean the 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 in the Semitic languages like the Rahman and Rahim, both of those are are carrying words that are related to compassion and also have the root womb in them. I mean this is. This is the artist's realm of, of, of uh, carrying and birthing things into the world. It's uh, bringing novelty uh, where, where things are, are stale and, and collapsing into uh, losing their ability to have meaning. So the carrying is um, a willingness to show up uh, and, and, and create a space and do your own work of grieving so that you're able to, to create a space to hold meaning 
and and hold uh, the gifts given to you from lives that have come before. Uh, I guess that's how I'd say it. Mm. Thank you. Did that just uh, muddy the waters more? <laughs> I think it it clarified and it muddied, which makes is ideal in my estimation. Um, it did a little bit of both. Mm. Um, but you spoke you spoke to to art and the role of art in carrying, and and I know that that's one of your roles. And I'm wondering if you would be willing to share a, a piece of your art. There's a poem that you wrote that. Uh, called infinite sides which i'm hoping you might share as a as a doorway into a bit more of of what you're carrying in this time love to infinite sides i scared off the possum feasting on fallen pears stepping out in the late october mornings dark i was only aware of her due to a street light placed behind the house which sits miles out in the countryside. The streetlight sands 60 feet back near the meadow. I wonder who put it there and why. Possibly to see the approach of that which is deemed dangerous and have more time to get one's gun. But the light only illuminates the dangers approaching from one side and vulnerable has infinite sides. Just the other day, my wife saw a mountain lion cross the road. And last week, I witnessed my father-in-law's ancestors come for him out of the liminal space up near the smoke detector, which failed to note his ancestors, but screams every time I make toast. Due to the apparently indefensible position of this life, I climbed a ladder and turned the bulb counterclockwise to welcome the darkness, to weave a tablecloth from all the threads of my vulnerability and spread it out below the pear tree. Orion watches now as I struggle to remember how it feels to feast on fallen pears. Thank you. That's such a beautiful poem. Mm. And and the line, vulnerable has infinite sides, um, really sticks with me and I guess I find myself wondering what, how has your relationship with vulnerability changed as you've embarked on the work that you're doing now? Uh, I think the piece about it is is I'm, I feel much more vulnerable. But the, the reality is not that uh, I'm, I'm in a more precarious situation or, I mean, I drove tens of thousands of miles in Chicago traffic for years, you know, driving all over the city uh, to, to take care of hospice patients, which is probably the most precarious thing I could have chosen to do. Um, but being in a small community, being in relationship to, to the physical world, um, like I, for example, I built a bench for my sister, a memorial bench for her 
And the top stone on the bench probably weighs 3,000 pounds. So moving that stone, the relationship to it and knowing that it could crush you uh, is, is, uh, it's real tangible. And there's a lot of tangible risk uh, that's, that's felt when you're living, when you're farming, when you're building, when you're, when you're doing tasks like that. And then also being in a small community of 3,000 and watching jobs disappear and, and watching uh, you know, the vulnerability of, of my whole community, watching you know, money disappear that supports you know, the store where I get my food, watching things like this happen. Um, I'm much more vulnerable, but there is, there's less fear related to it to that vulnerability because um, there's a sense of being connected to all, all these people. You know, like right now I'm cooking a, a pot of venison stew that my friend brought a deer over. Just that's what he decided to do. He killed a deer and thought he'd bring a deer over so I could have some of the deer. So there's this, this feeling of being supported in a, in a very, um, real way also that I didn't feel as much in the big city. Um, so I guess the answer is I'm, I'm much more aware of, of my vulnerabilities here and, and less afraid of them. Mm. Yeah. I'm, I find myself thinking about you're describing that shift and, and I find myself thinking about the times that I've been in more physically precarious circumstances and the way in which I, I had a similar experience of things being precarious in certain ways, but there that that caused people to come together in other ways that that made the vulnerability feel less or less frightening. But I, I find myself suddenly thinking about you write a lot about entitlement as well and thinking about this this vulnerability and entitlement relationship that essentially entitlement is the demand to be invulnerable yeah and 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 that a lot of of what you've written about about dying and things ending well that a lot of what has happened in this culture or happens at this time around death is that, you know, we demand to not even have the word be spoken, that we can't even talk about dying well, we can only talk about living well, that we are demanding an invulnerability, but that that demand also increases the very fears. It, it, yeah. it, it doesn't, it doesn't work. <laughs> and, and the, 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 piece that baffles me is so much of what seems to be the new approach is to to uh, state that death is good versus bad so we're doing death positive which doesn't seem to be a new form it just seems to be a a new way of of reiterating the good versus bad format of of well now we're going to say death is good and i don't think it alleviates uh, um it, it, I mean, I think death, death's indifferent to whether or not we call it good or bad. <laughs> and, and there's a certain beauty to, to indifference, you know. There's like, I think about like the Aramedical fathers and 
and mothers that went out to the desert and 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 that the the indifference of the desert to you there's a solace in that but that's a whole different form than than just declaring something okay now it's good and 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 so i'm i'm mostly baffled by by a lot of the new approaches to to what we call death positivity i don't i don't quite understand um and they feel like they're 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 not a vessel that I would trust with any weight. Mm-hmm. Does that make any sense? It does. And uh, I have so much more to ask you. I could talk to you forever, but we actually have to close. So thank you so much, Andrew, for being here today and and having this conversation. Thank you, Annie. Thank you, Rochelle. Thank you both so much. It was a beautiful conversation. My guest today has been Andrew Gerber, hospice nurse, carpenter, artist, and founder of the American Death Party. You can follow Andrew's work at www.americandeathparty.com. I'm excited to announce that beginning in April, Precipice will be twice a month, the second and third Thursdays of each month, and we look forward to bringing you more conversations from the edge of the cliff of this time in which we're living. It's been such a pleasure to be here with you all today. Thank you for listening in. Should life be granted us between this time and the next, I'll speak to you in April. In the meantime, may we be willing to stand at the edge, unblinking, together. I'm Annie Levin, and this is Precipice. Thank you for opening your heart and mind to a new way of being, to greater degrees of self-compassion and wellness, and your experience of your own infinite potential with Revolutionary Wellness Talk Radio. Join host Rochelle next Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern Time to turn courageously toward your own unique experience of health and wellness here on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Remember, you too can experience revolutionary wellness.